Welcome to this Colorado Legal Education audiocast. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to our audiocast today. I'm Molly Zwardlinger. I'm an estate planning and probate attorney down in Littleton, Colorado, and I am licensed here in Colorado. And my name is Lawrence Gendelman. I'm with Gendelman Law Group in Denver, Colorado, and I'm also an attorney licensed in Colorado. I do probate, trust, estate, digital asset, and family law. So welcome to today's CBAC Elite audio cast series, Digital Death, the Emerging Trend in Trust and Estate Law. Today we'll be talking about the legal issues surrounding digital assets after a person's death. Molly and I are both, again, licensed attorneys in Colorado, so we might be discussing some state-specific law. That state-specific law is only applicable to Colorado. So, Lawrence, when you and I discussed doing this podcast, you mentioned the importance of digital assets just as a topic in general. What inspired you to want to address digital assets as a topic? Well, Molly, I was actually reading the news one day. This was a couple years ago, and I saw a headline, Grieving Father Pleads with Apple to Unlock His Dead Son's iPhone. And I had never thought about about that as an issue that a family, certainly a father who's grieving their son, would have to face after death. So there seems to be an emerging trend of this problem for most folks now that the majority of us, at least in some part, live in the digital world. Well, Molly, I think all of us live in the digital world, and maybe some of us just don't realize it. I was surprised to learn recently that even something that seems irrelevant, like an online gaming profile, can be considered a digital asset. Lawrence, what other types of assets would count as digital assets? One of the emerging digital assets that's been, you know, in the news a lot lately are, you know, things like cryptocurrencies, Bitcoin, Ethereum, Litecoin, um, also an email account, a dating profile, social networking sites like Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, uh, e-commerce sites like eBay, PayPal, Amazon, um, even like an online shopping account like Staples or Office Depot, Etsy. There's also photo sharing sites that people use to store and share their personal photos, like Picasa and Shutterfly. Um, music and video are often stored digitally, so a site like Pandora, Spotify, Netflix, Hulu, iTunes. I like um, my Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> um, something like online gaming, I think, I think you had mentioned Clash of Clans, is, is an example of an online game that actually might in itself an account or a, um, an avatar in that game could be a digital asset. Second Life, um, there's a virtual real estate or virtual property in some of these online gaming communities as well. Um, financial accounts like a credit card, a bank account, um, certainly an account that only exists virtually like Ally Bank where there aren't actually brick and mortar institutions that people are going to. Uh, online storage accounts in the cloud like Google Docs or Dropbox or even an external hard drive would be an example of a digital asset. Uh, reward accounts like frequent flyer miles, hotel points, and even blogs. Well, after hearing that's all included, and I know that list is not including everything, you were not kidding that everybody lives in the digital world. It sounds like based off the kinds of accounts you were listing, there's two issues here. One is actually accessing the digital asset, and the other is figuring out how to distribute or leave the digital asset at death. I would like to address, Lawrence, with you some ways that I have found through client issues, um, easy ways to access digital assets. Because the fact of the matter is, if we can't get access Mm -hmm. to the asset, it probably has very little value. 
Right. So the best way to get access to a digital asset is through what I refer to as a tangible gateway asset. Okay. What is a tangible gateway asset? I am not familiar with that term. Well, it's something like a cell phone or computer, thumb drive, maybe a tablet or tangible hard drive. It's a physical item that you can touch that will give you access to either an online or a digital asset. And I know that doesn't really explain it. So let me give you an example. If you're able to open up someone's phone, maybe it's not password protected, and you're able just to click to the home button and open up the phone, Mm -hmm. you typically have immediate access to certain apps. For example, you have access to email. So you can just click open the email and you're able to get to the account. If you have a banking app, if you have the Facebook app or any other apps, if you have access to the phone, which is a tangible asset, you typically can get access to the digital asset, the app as an example, from the phone. Another gateway asset is email. It's a great ass- a great gateway asset, and the reason why is you can get access to passwords, to reset passwords for mm. other assets. So an example would be if you know um, your brother died, you know that you can get access, or you know that he has a Chase bank account, and you're able to get access to his email, you can reset his password and username for his Chase account through the email. Interesting. So is that... Is that legal? Like, can somebody just go on to somebody else's email account, I guess, if they're if at, after death or during a period of incapacity, and just start changing passwords or changing usernames? And even, let's say there's a cell phone, whether it be locked or unlocked, would it be legal for somebody to go on there and start accessing another person's assets? So it's a great question, Lawrence, and this really is the crux of the issue. It depends. That's our famous lawyer answer. It depends <laughs> on the terms of service of the custodian of that digital asset. And it also depends on whether the digital asset has a custodian at all. Can you can you talk about when you say terms of service, like what, for those people out there who might not be so familiar with digital assets, what, what are terms of service and the than, um, custodian. So for the listeners out there, a custodian is a person or entity like Google that carries, maintains, processes, they can receive or store the digital asset itself. For example, an external hard drive is a tangible item over which you may have digital assets. Mm-hmm. And the PR, the personal representative of the estate, has authority to access this hard drive because there's no custodian. There's no keeper of the gates when it comes to that hard drive. However, if there is a custodian of the asset, like files in a Dropbox, Dropbox is the custodian, Mm -hmm. the terms of service may not allow you to have access. Are those like the little agreements where you press accept or decline, like when you go on to the web page? It is, all the ones that we don't read. (laughs) (laughs) So those actually have have an effect, you're saying, on, on the rights that people would have to digital assets, a fiduciary would have. In a sense, the terms of the service do control, even under the new digital asset law, which is called the Revised Uniform Fiduciary Access to Digital Assets Act. That's a mouthful, so it's more affectionately known as RUFADA. (laughs) So even under this new law, the terms of service do control. However, if we want, you can get a court order, uh, you can obtain that, to get access. So, Lawrence, my question for you is if the terms of service are silent, which sometimes they can be, Mm -hmm. what can a personal representative do to get access to the asset? Actually, from what I've noticed so far in in my own work, a lot of the terms of service agreements for the custodians of digital assets are silent with specifically to um, issues of access after death. Uh, many more than you think. Some are, are simply ambiguous and some say nothing. Let's take iCloud, for example. Um, iCloud says something to the effect of, unless otherwise required by law, 
you agree that your account is non-transferable and that any rights to your Apple ID or content within your account terminate upon your death. Upon a receipt of a, cop of a copy of a death certificate, your account may be terminated and all content within your account deleted. Contact iCloud support at, and it gives a web address, for further assistance. I have no idea what those terms of service even mean. And, and neither do I, but I think that this illustrates the utility of, um, of Rufada, and certainly part of the reason that Rufada was enacted. In a case like this, where it's not clear what rights somebody would have uh, at, at death um, by the terms of a custodian of digital assets, you know, an acting fiduciary has an argument to be made that they should be entitled to a user's content, in this case, iCloud content. And I should note that the terms of service I quoted were, um, as of last week, that is what was reflected on, uh, on the iCloud site. So, Lawrence, it sounds like Apple's trying to give the acting fiduciary a way to get access. They say to send a copy of the mm -hmm. death certificate and to contact them. But this does not seem super helpful. It doesn't tell the fiduciary what they can or cannot get access to, and it doesn't delineate any rights they have for this asset. What does Rufata say is needed to get access? So Rufata, it sets out in the case of you know, no provisions in the terms of service, to the contrary, um, a method for a personal representative or a trustee or a fiduciary to get access to somebody's digital assets. Basically, they have to submit a written request, a certified copy of a death certificate, letters testamentary, a small estate affidavit, a power of attorney form, whatever it might be, um, to that custodian. In addition, they need a copy of the will if we're dealing with a personal representative, um, but not just any will. And this is, I think, where, where the problem um, is really illuminated in a lot of estate planning documents that, that are out there today. A will that specifically and explicitly provides for authority for the person to have access to digital assets is what's required under Rufada for a personal representative to gain access. A broad provision delegating fiduciary uh, duties or authority or just saying somebody is nominated as personal representative is not sufficient. So what I get from what you just said under what's required under Rufada is that lawyers should include provisions in the will allowing the personal representative the ability to get access to assets, so specific provision delineating that. For digital assets, that's right. And I think it's more than just a they should. I think that I think that attorneys have to. I agree. So where can a practitioner find some sample provisions for digital assets? This is still a fairly new deal. You know, there's a surprising number of model provisions out there. Um, most estate planning software have template provisions that automatically are included in estate planning documents or can be. Um, I will say that the Colorado Estate Planning Handbook, also known as the Orange Book, it has a, a provision, a, a model provision in there. I think it's in tab B. Um, so, so that's one, those are some places that practitioners can find these. But they're, they're definitely out there and they're becoming more and more commonplace, hopefully, in people's estate planning documents. So maybe it's a good idea for practitioners who have been working in this area to communicate what they've been doing with each other and we can get more specific provisions based off what people have been doing. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you to our listeners today. As a reminder, I'm Molly Zwerdlinger. I'm an estate planning and probate attorney with Miller & Steyart in Littleton, Colorado. And uh, my name is Lawrence Gendelman, and I'm with Gendelman Law Group out in Denver, Colorado, practicing in trusts, probate, um, estate planning, and family law. Also, I did want to mention, um, you can also get more information at CLE 
dot cobar c o b a r dot org. Again, that's c l e dot cobar dot org. You can get more information about the Colorado Bar Association that um, does these audio casts. Um, and also, you know, I do practice in the area of digital assets, and I certainly. Uh, welcome, you know, communications and questions about this area. So my, I'm happy to give my firm's phone number is 720-213-0687. Again, 720-213-0687. And I welcome phone calls on this issue. This is an area that I have a lot of interest in and passion about. And I think that there is a lot of interesting law that will be developing in this area. And Molly, I, I feel that you probably feel the same way. I do. And I look forward to any upcoming podcasts with you, Lawrence, on this issue. Absolutely. Thanks so much, Molly. Thank you. Thank you for listening. For more information on this topic and many others, visit cle.cobar.org. CLE.